0: being recorded and
1: not yeah. be worded out by it. So, okay, Reza Aslan, yeah, yeah, so Rizza Aslan, um, in writing in his book The Zealot, which is really great, um, and he... He's talking about how um, the bandits are were a political movement. They were was, that was the like Roman title for um, for this political movement that said basically we want this land of Israel was promised to us. Uh, we are the Israelites, we're the Jewish people. This is our land. We're not going to pay taxes. We're not going to do anything. So when the the temple priests come up to Jesus and they're like. Yeah, so uh, should we pay taxes? They're saying, like, are you a bandit? Are you, you know, are you this group of people? Um, and he says, well, whose face is on it? Um, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, and render to God that which is God's. So he's saying, sure, give your money to, to Caesar. That's fine, which, which would be fine. But then he says, render to God that which is God's, which is telling the temple priests, fuck the Romans. Like, <laughs> like the hell with you all. He's saying, this land is ours.
0: Oh, is that? Yeah. I
1: mean? He's saying Israel is oh, ours. Render unto that? God that which is God's, which is this oh. land. So give to our people this land is ours. This is given to us by God. So we need to hold this land for God.
0: Oh, no! Because I was reading totally that, I was like, different. I did not understand. Because yeah. then, because right after it says. And then they understood that he was talking about them and got mad. I'm like, why? What just happened? Like, why are yeah. you mad? I don't really understand. <laughs> like, I don't yeah. really get it. <laughs> and then,
1: and then they go to, and that's why he then he leaves the city um, and he goes to Temple Mount. And that's really interesting at that moment because then, like, he kind of knows the jig is up. He's like, all right, the, the priests left. They know that I'm saying Israel for the Israelites. They're going to come after me. So then he tells his people to go buy swords. He's like, he's like, oh, I yeah. told you, like, you don't yeah. need point purses, but if you got them, go buy a <laughs> sword now. <laughs> and then they come back and they're like, we've got two swords. And he's like, well, that'll do. Good enough. And then that night, he's freaking out and he goes up to the Mount of Olives. So this is the point sort of where he's talking about. He goes up to uh, the Mount of Olives and he's he's losing his shit he's like he's like up there and he's praying and he's like shaking and he's silent and like yeah he's like also repenting but also he's scared in in um Pete and luke oh no um, he's
0: definitely scared. He's, he's terrified he's
1: sweating yeah. and they said the, the beads of sweat were like drops of blood they were so big yeah. and then he comes back well, i mean
0: some interpretations with it was actually blood
1: oh like he was possibly actually I, really well.
0: i mean isn't that a thing did i make that up I don't know.
1: Continue. I'm, I mean, it, whatever. In <laughs> the translation point, that I was reading, which yeah. there are many, they was implying that the beads were as big as drops of blood upon the earth. That's really funny. Yeah. That's pretty gross. Yeah, so he was like, he, he's <laughs> freaking out. He knows the trick is like, he knows they're going to come for him, and he's going to die. Yeah. Like, he knows that's what's coming. And so he goes back to the camp, and he wakes up everyone else, and he's like, oh, everyone, like, make sure that you don't, uh, you know that you don't face temptation which is like sort of what you what you were talking about a second ago about um, the temptation of you know, power and and having the hunger for that, but also I think Jesus was freaking out because he knows he's going to die because yeah, oh he no, knows that the Pharisees is. are coming back for him, mm-hmm. and so he's like, all right, everyone's wait. like they were sleeping. And he's like, no, everybody, get up! Like, get up! We need to, we need to pray. We need to pray. And then
0: <laughs> and they just keep <laughs> thinking, like shut up. <laughs> yeah, like, we're tired. can you imagine like they're
1: there at midnight and this dude's like shaking with like,
0: shut up, Jesus. Like, <laughs> but on the other hand, he is your Lord and Savior. Like maybe listen, wake up. Well, uh, uh, this is part. This is parts to. This is part of what I was talking about. I didn't finish about Judas and how he was... In one reading that I've been looking at and really considering that he was actually the best Christian because Jesus says one of you will betray me. He doesn't say a couple of you are going to betray me. He says specifically one of you are going to betray me. And then we know for a fact that Peter does. That you're going to deny me three times, Mm -hmm. right? And And so it's like... We actually already know who that one is. It's Peter. And if you look back through all of Matthew, over and over and over again, he's questioning Jesus. He's not believing Jesus. Jesus is getting more and more frustrated with him. And to literally, on the Mount Olives, this is something that people talk about a lot too. It's like, why did this happen? Is that God intercedes and talks directly into the story in a way that doesn't ever happen, really, in the New Testament and it's to shut up peter. <laughs> it's basically, he like literally cuts peter off and says like shut up and listen to Jesus. Like shut the f*** up peter. Like like God never intercedes. He never comes and talks directly in the New Testament except for to to shut up peter. And so as so like and then again in that moment when he's freaking out, he's totally freaking out, and he's like waking people up, he says, you can't even give me an hour, like he asked specifically for Peter to stay awake with him. Mm-hmm. You know, does Jesus ever ask for anything? No, he really doesn't ask for anything except for you to, you know, for his works, to do yeah. good works and to follow him as, but like on a specific personal level, yeah. you don't see him do that, and he was like, I'm really, really, really scared, like please stay up with me, yeah. and he doesn't. And Jesus is like basically heartbroken. It's like Peter, you can't give me an hour of your time. Yeah, really, like, really. Like because like, he knows he's gonna die. He knows he's gonna die, and <laughs> Peter just like is can sleep through that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know. So so in this reading, if Peter's the one who's betrayed Jesus, then this means Judas didn't. So then what was Judas's whole deal, right? And how I see it is that if you, you go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Mark was written first, and then Matthew, and then Luke, and then John. But in both Mark and Matthew, um, Judas is not specifically said by Jesus that you are the devil, that you are the, you are the betrayer, you kill it, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, in Matthew, it's very, very different, actually. How I see it is, Judas has to do what he does in order for Christ to be crucified. Like he, it, somebody has to do that. It's a role that has to be played, and in order to play that role, what Judas has to do is literally sacrifice everything. His biggest sacrifice: he sacrifices his life, he sacrifices his honor, and he sacrifices his name. He's been kicked around he's the most hated person <laughs> in human history like sent for the last two thousand years there's nobody that's been hated on more than judas basically right um, but they're at the last Supper, and jesus is saying basically he's talking to both peter and judas at the same time saying one of y- one one person is going to betray me and you know peter's like oh it's not going to be me it's definitely not going to be me and judas is like Is it me? Like, are you asking me to do something? Mm. You know? Like, is this what you're telling me to do? You know? Yeah. Because, like, why would he, out of all everybody else, be like, like, is that? And Jesus is like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I mean, you know, and so Judas goes, he gets the silver, and we don't hear anything. He doesn't spend it. If he was going to betray Jesus because he's greedy, why does he keep all that money in his pocket? That was not a small sum of cash. Yeah. You know, and he just keeps it. You know, he doesn't do anything with it. And then the last act he does is kiss Jesus goodbye. You know, why a kiss? Why can't he just be like, it's that dude with the long hair. Yeah. You know, (laughs) it's that one right there. Like he goes up and he kisses Jesus goodbye. And Jesus says, basically, you know, do what you need to do. You know, it's encouragement. Judas is like, you know, and Jesus encourages him, like, you have to, this is what you have to do for me. Mm. You know, so I see that kiss from Judas to Jesus is one of the most, like, heartbreaking, like, possibly in this reading, one of the most, like, heartbreaking, fully giving things. And then over and over and over again, Jesus is saying, like, I don't want your talk. I don't want your bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. I want your service, and I want all of it. I yes. want everything. I want everything from you, and I don't want you to talk about it. And Judas doesn't talk about it. You don't hear a word from him ever throughout the entire New Testament until he asks Jesus. He doesn't question Jesus like Peter. He doesn't like keep asking whether or not Jesus is the real deal. The only thing he ever says really is, "What do you want from me? Is it me? Do you do this for, you know?" And then he does it, and his sacrifice is, like, horrific. <laughs> like, horrific. He literally gives everything. Like, everything. Like, what else can you give other than your life and to be beaten up by all of everybody forever?
1: <laughs> I mean, do we know you what know? happens to him after that?
0: He kills himself. Okay. Yeah, He. so that's the thing. So you see, again, like, Peter versus Judas Peter feels real bad and sits in, in like, self-pity and cries to himself and then goes on with his life. He's like, oh, 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 I'm so admit... Judas fucking... (laughs) Judas kills himself out of grief for Jesus' loss, you know? So who... You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Who felt that?
0: Oh, oh, oh. And one other thing about Judas. One other thing. Is that even in his last act, he was fulfilling another one of God's prophecies because um, they that, he threw that silver down, he didn't want it, that he'd been keeping, had not spent, he throws it down, he kills himself, and that silver is collected and created, and they use it to make a cemetery for foreigners that hadn't it existed, it's called the uh, Bloodfields, um, shit, I forgot the word, the name of it. Something. But it was it was prophesied earlier in the Old Testament that this would be something that happened and Judas' last act was to fulfill another old biblical prophecy and in a way that honored some of the people that Jesus loved the best, which were the foreigners, which were the people that hadn't had a place to be honored in their burial and in their deaths. So, like, I don't know, that's looking pretty good for Judas, right?
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, and the other thing about Peter is you're saying that sort of uh, Jesus is, like, having to constantly tell Peter off. (laughs) At one point... um, Uh, you know, he says you will. You know, you will watch over the gates of heaven. Whatever you have the keys. You know, and and you know, you think about the depictions of this in the future of like Peter sitting in front of the gates of heaven, deciding people are coming in and out and all this. Yeah. But like, the other way to think about that is Jesus says you're never going to make it into heaven. You're going to be stuck just outside heaven for your for all of eternity. <laughs> like it's kind of a fuck you, you know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it totally is. I don't know, still, my favorite thing ever. Because that's exactly it, though, like, not growing up with the Bible. is not, not being told what all of this means from the very beginning. Yeah. So, like, I'm reading it with fresh eyes. Yeah. And, like, these things mean something to me, you know, in, like, in a way that seems obvious when I read it. And then yeah. I read the interpretations, like, oh, whoa, I hadn't, you know. And, like, there's a lot of interesting stuff, but it's also, I don't know. I, I think mean, it's interesting to, like, when I read about Him on the Mount, on the Mount Olives um, and God just like seriously interrupts Peter, like interrupts him (laughs) Like, (laughs) like when does that ever happen? that never happens
1: yeah. I mean, usually when people describe God, it's, like, terrified. It's like, the storming cloud and the
0: lightning. Well, and the yeah, because he's know. so like... annoyed. Like, God is, and he gets all stormy and angry and interjects this one time. And the one time he interjects is to shut Peter up. <laughs> shut up. Shut up.
1: You know, and there's, there's another theme in here. Um, you know, and, and, you know, along the lines of, like, oh, Judas is bad. You know, what, what's bad about, what's portrayed is bad about him is there's a betrayal or something. But it's because really, it's, like, a snitching. But, like, again and again, like, Jesus and, like, the whole narrative and, like, the reason why Jesus, part of the reason why Jesus, like, is keeping secret, um, is because he know, because, you know, they're in a time of rebellion. There was also, like... There's like food shortages. There's a drought going on, um, and so like crops aren't growing. Agriculture people are being pushed into the city, si- much like what we're seeing in Syria today, where like displaced farmers went into the cities, and then like popular social uprising, like uh, you yeah. know, sort of blew up. And so like Jesus knows by saying that these messages, the reason why he's speaking in parables was so that like the Pharisees wouldn't catch on. Right. so the Romans wouldn't just come and immediately kill him so he's like quiet for a while he's like yeah. hush hush and that's why he's like staying out not in the cities he spends his yeah. first like you know while uh, hanging out in these rural areas visiting, yeah. visiting these like tiny wow. little
0: townships and he, he was pretty serious about security culture a yeah, right. Bit. <laughs> <laughs> you know one of my favorite um, um, not a traditional interpretation of the bible but Matthew 5 why don't we have oh you have it where's the bible uh, where'd it go yeah. Oh, here it is. Okay, let me find it so I can, like, actually read yeah. it. Because when I read this, I was like, oh, that's solid advice, Jesus. Jesus <laughs> Jesus tells his disciples before they head out to um, minister to not fight with cops because bail is expensive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> and I read that, and I laughed really hard. <laughs> and it's was like, I bet that's not how that's usually um, understood. But...
1: <laughs> Um, and also, it. like Jesus renames them, like people was like Simon or whatever that Jesus like is renaming these disciples. Like, he's giving them like code names and like whatever and shit. Like <laughs> Jesus is like pretty dedicated to security culture, and like repeatedly, he's like stay quiet, like don't say words, don't utter my name. You know, like yeah, he's like, like pretty consistently like saying uh, keep your mouth shut. Your mouth shut. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, and also like uh, the Peter thing about like denying the uh, denying Jesus repeatedly. It's also like him saying, you know, I'm gonna keep myself safe you know and in terms of like Jesus getting you know getting arrested and uh, you know and defying the defying the the rich people in the temple and overturning stuff and whatever whatever. Um, so he's making this big disruption Mm -hmm. basically he then gets arrested and killed and uh, you know, then he has this PR team of, like, 11 or 12 people, you know, who have been out spreading his message for 2,000 years, so, you know, that's why we still know it, because they had this amazing PR team, you know, yeah. who went and wrote letters and traveled and talked about this dude, um, and that's, I mean, that's the whole, like, predicated thing, is that, like, one really successful direct action, <laughs> you know, has, like, fundamentally transformed our society, um, you know, which is, like, you know, that's
0: sort of a beautiful thought. That is a beautiful thought. Um... um God damn it, where is it? You know, if this was me on the radio, we're going to have to, like, edit. edit yeah. a lot of lot. We're swearing a lot. That's okay. <laughs> I can't remember. I thought it was in Chapter 5. Um... Um... Oh, this is funny. The dead air. The, that was the joke, is that two Quakers going to do a radio show and there's oh, yeah. going to be lots of dead oh, yeah. air. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I thought about that. Like, how do you... like? So Quakers have, like, uh, quiet silence. Um... Uh, and, you know, like, how do you represent that on a radio, which demands, you know, in some ways continual discussion, um, and...
0: I'm sorry, I have allergies in my
1: noses. No, totally. Um, you know, another, another question about this, um, this show, too, is, like, how much do we want to, you know, I'm sure that for, for listeners, um if you're listening to a show about you know friendly an- quakers anarchists the friendly anarchists um, that um, that you either already have an understanding of quakerism or that you already have an understanding of anarchism or that you're interested in these so like how much of an introduction you know do we need to give to this i don't know yeah. i feel like a little attention I, w- <laughs> I,
0: like, I feel like we should give a good amount i feel like we should cuz i well that's one of the things i wanted to talk to you about is actually is like who is our audience who are we trying to write this for and yeah. like how broad of an audience and you know, I and and you know, I was talking to mm-hmm. and I was talking to you we know, had like a lovely little worship session in a car, impromptu after um, going and seeing um, the Messiah, by um, yeah. yeah. that guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, God. yeah, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. Okay. Um,
1: Music, famous thing. Music, famous thing. He donated all that money, uh, then to open, like, uh, orphanages. Did he? Yeah. Oh,
0: good. Which is, like, Well, that's, that's real, that's nice. Yeah. Anyway, we had a real nice worship session, and, um, you know, it was fun to tell that I'm an anarchist. (laughs) It was a little (laughs) weird. But she was great, obviously, totally accepting. Especially when I explained the total, like, dedication to nonviolence and everything. And she's like, I think it's a real gift and a real um, opportunity that you speak to both anarchist and Christian. You can draw in more people, and it's like that's true. You know, so if the point of this, I was thinking, the point of this shouldn't be just to like hear ourselves speak. Yeah. It should be to try and you know
1: speak to different groups. Do
0: something. You know, like yeah, you know, we are in a, we're in this space that could bring a lot of people together. And you know the more I talk about it, the more I find nonviolent anarchists. Yeah. I I know like seven now just from talking about it. People are like, "Hey." <laughs> <me."> <laughs> or like you don't you know people don't know that these spiritual things speak to them or they don't know that these anarchist things speak to them. Yeah. And so if we can, you know, some, somehow direct this or you know, be, just be cognizant of who it is we're trying to talk to, so it doesn't end up, again, just like, sort of, like, liberals tend to just end up in these circle jerks. Yeah. You know? Like, <laughs> I don't I don't really want to do that, you know? Yeah.
1: You know, and I think there's also, like, Quakerism is, is really different among religions. Like, I grew up really hating religion. Um, yeah. My, my mom was raised Irish Catholic. Oh, wow. And, yeah. um, and, like, way back in the day when, like, nuns wore habits um, and like she went to uh, like an Irish Catholic like elementary school or whatever you know like a church school and it was like you had to wear you know socks that went so high you had to have skirts that went so low your socks had to be the same color you know this and that you couldn't wear jeans you couldn't like I mean it was it was a big deal that like in in Chicago in the winter women couldn't wear pants like oh geez um, and like that went that went on for a long time and i remember talking about like the, the hypocrisy in the church of you know people who would go in and be nice and like friendly in the church and then they would go out and like fight about parking spaces like <laughs> you know like i it's just like night and day like clearly like this is, you know or like the mass is in latin and nobody knows what the fuck they're saying you know? like, and so you know when when i was reading about early quakers and the, yeah i mean and there's just like so many critiques of you know, of organized religion about like the um, abuse of religion and like having to take commands from other people without yeah. listening. Um, George Fox at one point talks about how. Um he's talking about the Eucharist and he's like no matter how much I stare at this piece of bread like I just can't make myself believe that this is Christ's body like it's just it's bread like I can't do, like I can't like just imagine that as soon as it goes to my mouth it turns into flesh like that's even that would be weird like I can't like no it's not this is bread I'm sorry like no like I don't believe in sacraments I don't believe in like one particular kind of worship like God can occur in an infinite number of ways yeah. and we can experience God and if yeah. we can't experience God then then we're worshiping something we can't experience and that's ludicrous like we need to be able to have a direct experience of god you know and if we follow that experience then we can live um an ethical life which is something that like virtually no other theology really says every other theology says like you're born into sin you're going to die in sin sin forever you mean like like christian theology Yeah. yeah um and quakers are like no no, that's bullshit. Like <laughs> like if you do the right thing and you follow your and you live your conscience, like you well, can live an ethical life.
0: Well, I mean, I, I don't I don't know enough to say that that's not true of all. I don't I don't think that's probably fair. A queer Christian, you know, Quakers don't have a monopoly on ethical Christianity.
1: No, no, no. I I'm, I'm not saying like other faiths aren't don't have ethical trajectories and practices and histories and whatever. whatever. Um but that there is this like there's this long thing about guilt with Christianity yeah. you know in in the Catholic and Protestant traditions um, that like you should always just like feel guilty and that was something that I was just like I thought that that was dumb I was like I'm not gonna live my life feeling guilty yeah. when like as a kid, I like, I never read the Bible. I never had any of that sense of guilt. I'm not going to join a church that's going to, like, say I should suddenly now start feeling guilty well, for something that, like, yeah. I had never even read before, you know, this, like, Garden of Eden, like, whatever narrative. And I'm yeah. like, that's, I just don't buy that.
0: Well, I mean, I, I've always been pulled to spirituality and a couple of times tried to pull, like, pulled into Christianity a little bit, but then always just so repulsed by like when there's this this hatred or like just the ideas of dogma I'm just sort of naturally anti-authoritarianism anti-authoritarian and so like something about it pulled me but then just everything else (laughs) repulsed (laughs) me (laughs) you know (laughs) just like uh yeah um so I, I only became I became a Quaker because um it felt like oh here's this space where ethics and spirituality actually do fit together. Yeah. You know, and then I'm reading the Bible and I I don't know how much I I don't know how much I really believe in the you know, Lord and Savior rise again, you know, coming of Christ again kind of stuff. Yeah. I don't know, I'm I don't know. Like that's that's a complicated that's a weird I'm you know, we're all on our own spiritual path with yeah. But the point is when I first when I first got into this um, and I'm reading the Bible kind of for the first time and I'm just kind of shocked by what I'm reading and it's like so different and I'm just reading this like how the fuck are you people like what Bible are you reading <laughs> like, like where did, I didn't know any of this and like I, I was kind of frustrated It's like this was kept for me because the Bible and Christianity has been so hijacked yeah by the far right you know by hatred and you know, you know all of this just horrible it's just you know, like the you know Christian church <laughs> especially the white white Christian church specifically, yeah, yeah. You know, we're both white. Um, white American Christianity is pretty gross most of the time. You know, like I mean, there's obviously exceptions but as but the right has very much dominated the Christian space in this country for a long time. As, at least as since as at least since the birth end. of a nation, I think.
1: And there's been this like this mutuality there, right? Of like the nation justifying itself because of Christianity, and Christ- Christianity justifying the nation, like right. saying we support the nation. There's this like mutual thing.
0: Well, spirituality is really powerful. It's a powerful, powerful tool. So of course, capitalism and authoritarianism and go- they're going to take every power that they can <laughs> and use it against the people. So yeah. like. That's one of the, I think that's a big mistake that the left has made was ceding yeah. Yeah. spiritual power over to the right.
1: Absolutely. You
0: know, so like that was, one of that was a big mistake. Like I get what Marx was getting at, but like he kind of fucked up on that one like a little bit, <laughs> you know. And like that's what Alexander Bookman was saying is, you know, like you, you know, a lot of these other anarchists too or early anarchists are saying not that spirituality Or that God even is bad. It's the institution of the church that was bad. And Jesus totally agrees. (laughs) You know, like totally agrees with that. So that was, you know yeah so
1: I mean and that's that's interesting too I mean and it's just such an extent that like feeling for a long time like I I mean I grew up in sort of like I was a red diaper baby I grew up around um, radical politics and um, so wait what'd
0: you call yourself a red red red, red diaper baby
1: it means like raised among communists and radicals
0: (laughs) I have never heard that before (laughs) that's hilarious
1: it was a bigger thing at other times in the U.S. when there's a larger, like, communist presence, but, um...
0: (laughs) You just put that off like it's a normal thing to say. I mean, it
1: it should be, though. Um... um,
0: You know, know. but I think
1: that's that's also reflective, like, how people, like, grow up around their politics, and so, like, how, you know, how people are raised around religion and, like, how religion is discussed. You know, if it's done in this hereditary way in which there's no, like, fresh analysis, that's a real problem. That's a real stagnation. Um... And, um, you know, and I, I was really turned off by the church because I saw it as this, I saw like mainstream Christianity as a, um, like, impediment to discussions about everything from uh, a person's right to die, like Oregon has right to die legislation. But, like if you're sick, if you're terminally ill, and you're going to be in pain for the rest of your life, you have the like you have the right to work with your doctor to end your life. And I think that's I think that's totally just. I
0: think um, that's totally just. Yeah.
1: Um, I think there's there's no biblical justification to say you need to live the rest of your life suffering in pain. Uh, like, <laughs> no. I don't, Jesus would never con- condemn that, or would never condemn that. Absolutely And. um and so, I remember reading um, Dorothy Day, um, who, I just got
0: her um, autobiography. I haven't read it yet. I'm super excited.
1: Which which one?
0: Um, loneliness. The Long Loneliness. Long Loneliness.
1: Yes! I love that book. That book, for me, like, helped me to reconcile religion and radicalism.
0: I know. I'm so excited. That's why I got it. Because I was reading about Dorothy Day, and I'm like, okay, this lady... Quick, got sparkles. Gotta... <laughs> Quick, sparkles. Oh, yeah, we're sparkling our hands now. Um, <laughs> yeah, Yeah. So okay, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just got excited and Yeah, no Monday totally.
1: <laughs> and she at one point I'm going to I'm going to spoil a little bit of the book. She at one point she's um in a, in a common law marriage to an anarchist and they have a yeah. kid. Mm-hmm. And um and she finds herself increasingly pulled towards the message of Jesus and she starts like reading and she's like blah 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 like this like I get this. This like this like I I feel for this Um, and she comes out of like long socialist traditions so like I get it like I understand the message she's talking about and suddenly like I started thinking about Jesus in terms of this more radical message Um, and um, and I and in in rereading the Bible we've been talking about this and like in rereading it like ourselves um, I there's there's so much there that I like. I feel I was just like lied to and denied. That, yes, like, like me the-
0: too, absolutely. And it was frustrating. It's like I could have had this earlier in my life because I've actually found it really, really helpful. You know, I found it really helpful and I really like it. There's a lot. You know. There's just there's a lot of richness there. There's a lot of old wisdom. Yeah. You know, and you know it's a lot of it's old. Yeah. <laughs> so like, there's, there's definitely some out of date issues. It's t- two thousand years old. Let's be fair. <laughs> but there's a lot of like really rich wisdom there that I think has been denied was denied to me because it was coded in this false just so gross
1: yeah yeah (laughs) and like and being used to like like justify repression of people used to justify like i mean especially in my lifetime the the fights for same-sex marriage and equality and non-repression and at the same time people like identifying as christians just like committing horrendous acts you know like i'm thinking of um uh a guy in like wyoming right who like christians gathered this game and beat him and tied him to a pole and left him out to die like I mean that was a um, thing that happened and it's like what Matthew, are
0: Matthew um, yeah,
1: yeah Matthew, Matthew Shepherd
0: Shepard yeah
1: um, and it's just like in I mean in some ways like
0: they they literally um, lynched a shepherd.
1: Yes, I mean, and also like the biblical like wrapped in barbed wire tied to a post. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> like, <laughs> like,
0: oh, <laughs> like,
1: what man. are you even thinking? You know, I mean. Oh, God. To, well, I mean, I mean,
0: right now people think that people. You look, go look at Trump's Facebook page or whatever, and it's all these like, God bless you. I'm so glad we have a Christian president. It's like, what the? <laughs> what like, what are you talking what about?
1: Christianity? Are yeah, like, what are you reading? <laughs> what
0: are you talking about? Um,
1: yeah. Because, um, yeah. I mean, it's just like every, I mean, even the like more conservative um, apostles who like we'll talk about later, but like, even the more conservative apostles are like still like, yeah, Jesus fucking hated the rich. <laughs> like, I mean, it's, it's pretty clear. Like, I everywhere. might not have totally agreed
0: with him on that one, but he definitely is yep. pretty, pretty solid on not being into that. <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, everything from like, don't carry money to like, um, I mean, Jesus has answers to, like, all of the questions and concerns about socialism when he's like, we're going to feed the people. Like, give me yeah. whatever fish you got. We'll make it work. And um, and the apostle's like, really? How can we feed so many people? Like, we, we just don't have—there's just not enough to go around. Jesus is like, don't worry about it. I got this. You know? like And like." <laughs> we, we, and it's if, sort of
0: like, we got this. Like, yeah. we can make it happen. Yeah. You know?
1: Um, and if, like, if we believe in this—the Jesus of the Bible, then, like, we have to say it's—you know, this is entirely possible. he's like— the machinations for feeding people, the machinations for healing people yeah. are within our grasp.
0: Well, and also one of the things that I really enjoyed, um, I listened to a sermon by Tim Keller where he's talking about um, um, gleaning grain. When Jesus is on the Sabbath, goes out and gleans grain, and the Pharisees come and get mad at him and say, yeah, you're, breaking, you're yeah. breaking Sabbath rules, you're not allowed to harvest on Sabbath. And he basically says, like, fuck you, these people are hungry. Yeah. Like, And I'm reading that, and I'm like, oh, my God, that's food, not bombs. Yeah. <laughs> like, I like, you know, i mean, it's like, that's exactly what food, not bombs does. Because yeah. they break the law because people are hungry. Yeah. Like, don't tell me that we can't feed hungry people because you have some stupid law that says so. That doesn't make yeah. any sense. And, you know, he references David. You know, he goes way back. It's like, look, this has been a thing for a long time <laughs> where people of, the, of faith and feed the poor i'm yeah. not the first guy to do this yeah you know <laughs> so yeah so like that was it was just another moment where it like connected with me that like the anarchism and the and the jesus connected on this scale right there because it was just so it was just so in your face yeah it was just like mm, no <laughs> like, they're like stop doing that it's illegal and he's just like nah You're wrong. Yeah. And I'm not gonna. Yeah. So.
1: (laughs) You're wrong. Both politically, um, as well as, like, legally, as well as morally.
0: morally. And just sort of, in general, go away. I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs)
1: yeah.
0: Um. Well, you know, and he's also talking about how the church and the institutions are are using an old rule... For their own benefit yeah. and totally warping what it means, yeah. you know. So that's another. That's another totally, common you know, common, <laughs> no, totally common capitalist, you know, governmental practice is to redefine. Um, well, it's like legally how our legal system works is to yeah. sort of redefine precedent as you see fit. Yeah. Right. And so that's sort of what. Jesus is saying is like you, yeah. You're redefining precedent to serve your own goals, to serve your own needs, and forgetting the, um, you're, you know, follow the, um, not the rule of the law, the letter, the letter of the law, not the spirit. Yeah. You know, you're, yeah. you're not following the spirit of Sabbath. You're following the letter of the law yeah. because it suits your purposes of oppression. Yeah. You know, and so that's exactly he's like, break unjust laws. That's what the story of gleaning the grain is. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, um,
1: and it's it's really interesting for me to think about um, the Jesus who breaks the laws um, because he he knows that what he's saying goes against the Pharisees. The Pharisees are like considered the religious authority of the time, um, and yet he's saying like, worry about the Pharisees, worry about what they're going to do, worry about what they're going to say. Yeah. Um, but the Pharisees are they're not just. Um, they're not just religious people at this time because they're also the wealthiest people. Um, and, like, descriptions of the Pharisees at this time, they had, like, a multi-layered gold-gilded <laughs> turban with a gem for every direction.
0: <laughs> what? Uh. Like,
1: like it's and you know, gold-gilded long-flowing robes as opposed to, like, shorthand robes where people are trying to, like, save cloth, you know? Yeah. And so you know like all of the wealth he's both talking about them as like a religious authority that's like cheating people and like not doing God's will but also is talking about them in terms of like their um, uh, their just overwhelming wealth and their greed and just like how disgusted he is by that Yeah. Um. and he goes back to that and there's one point where like the apostles are they're like they cross a lake they, they feed people and then they go on their merry way and they cross the lake and they get to the other side of the lake and they're like, all right, we're going to lay down for night. And then when the pastor's like, oh, shit, Jesus, we don't got any bread. <laughs> and Jesus is like, yeah, like, was that a problem before? And they're like, no. And he's like, well, it's not a problem now. Like, Jesus, <laughs> bread, boom. He um, said, what you really got to worry about is the Pharisees who are ripping everyone off.
0: You yeah. know, and
1: it's like, that's yeah. like such an, like, an amazing thing. Because like, even I'm here today. like We like, can take
0: care of ourselves. Yeah. Basically, like, like, what? Look, we can take care of ourselves. Don't worry about us. Worry about the government and these, like, corrupt religious officials who are going to try and come in. And... They don't care if you have bread. Yeah. You know? Like, they don't care. Yeah. You know? In fact, if you have bread, they'll probably try and take it away. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so. And that's what's, like, for me, that's what's, like, interesting about Jesus' message is that he's, um... He's challenging so much. Uh, both, like, the his, like, contemporary religious doctrine, but also, like, we can see the Pharisees of our own day who are these, like, churches who are just, like, you know, these mega churches. Like, oh, just give us money. We're just going to build a bigger building. Yeah. Like, we can see the Pharisees yeah. of our day of, like, pastors who own a billion-dollar jet. You know, like, that is just, like, the grossest shit ever. Like,
0: it's so gross. Like, those so gross. people,
1: like, you know, like, that just, like, I don't know, fills me with righteous rage or something.
0: (laughs) Okay, so I um, did theater and I worked for Scientologists for a while. (laughs) Yeah, that was, it was actually kind of fun. They're a little, anyway. But at one point, during their conference service, I don't know, I don't remember what they called it, the guy on stage... It's literally just yelling at the crowd, give me your money, give your. Give me your money, give me your money, write a check, give me your money, give me, give me, give me. Like, not even, I'm not paraphrasing. Just literally yelling into the audience, give me your money. And, like, they people were coming up and, you know, really poor looking woman comes up and writes this big check and she's looking all bug-eyed and weird and he's just, it was so weird. Like, <laughs> it was the weirdest thing. You know, and, uh, yeah, you know, you just yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, and that's just so weird. You know, churches historically have often worked as miniature societies and socialist institutions. That's what tithe was, you know. Like, you yeah. gave you gave a certain percentage of your money and stuff to the church, and then the church worked as sort of a socialist mini-government yeah. to sort of help out people who were in need. So, like, if you look out through history, some of the earliest socialism... I mean, I'd have to check this historically, but from from what I see now, vestiges of it, and still sort of the ideology there is that you had these like mini-socialist, localist societies. Absolutely. You know what I mean?
1: I mean, and for the first couple hundred years of Christianity, like there really weren't churches as we think of them. You know, there was lots of like communes and like gatherings of people praying. in some ways that's sort of what a lot of like Quakerism was like trying to get back to when they were saying we're not going to have cathedrals we're not going to have steeple houses we're going to have meeting houses we're going to meet where people already live yeah. and we're going to pray we're not going to go out and build our own churches that's dumb that's a waste of money <laughs>
0: we're going to have just yeah. wooden benches and a rug
1: yeah, you yeah. Know, we're going to gather in our mm-hmm. own homes and so like it was really adaptable because they could go anywhere right, and right. it was also like we they also knew that like the things that they were challenging at that time um, were explicitly like feudalism. Like we're talking the, the mid 1600s here. Like feudalism was still a thing. There were lords and ladies, and like yeah. you t- had to take your hat off and bow and yes, my lord, <laughs> no. and take my hat off. Oh, yeah.
0: The yeah. thou, uh, what is that? Yeah, the, the, the uh, thou stuff where they yeah. didn't take their hat plain, off for people.
1: Plain speak. And Quakers refused. They were like, no, <laughs> like you are not better than me. You're, you're like you do not have any earned hierarchy, which that's when I hear that that's what I think of anarchism I'm like nobody is inherently better if you're gonna have authority you have to be able to justify that
0: yeah Um, or there is no such thing as authority really is there's respect you know like authority does not exist in you know, that's why it's anti-authoritarian. Basically, yeah. means anti-authority, anti the entire idea that hierarchies are legitimate in any way. Yeah. And like some, you you earn respect or you have respect for everybody. Yeah. And um, maybe people have sort of what you know what might be called authority to because they know more about something or they have more experience with something. But that is respecting somebody's experience and knowledge. is different than respecting their authority specifically yeah. because you know
1: what i mean and there's also there's also a lot about like intentions and harm right like there's like there's a hierarchy between like uh, tronsky writes about this about like between like parents and children right like and if the child is about to like wander into a street with busy cars like uh, the hierarchical role of the parent like does need to pull that child back and that's like a legitimate use of authority um in that it's like specifically intended to prevent immediate harm yeah like and like that is you know like that's a real thing and that's a way in which like I think anarchists do support harm reduction um and there are places in which like um there are places in which Quakers ask the state to reduce and become smaller smaller military um stop uh, you know, don't don't crush people, you know, respect people's freedoms and so on and so on. And there's places where anarchists actually want the state to increase. They say, we want harm reduction. You know, we well, want it, drug treatment. It depends. I mean, the, the, there's a lot know. of different
0: kinds of anarchism. But that yeah, is the kind yeah. of anarchism that Noam Chomsky uh, wanted. He said, you know, he tried to explain. what people didn't understand. It's like, yes, you do bigger government for a better socialist system in the meantime while you work towards <laughs> anarchism. Because it's a privilege to say that people in immediate harm and danger don't deserve whatever protections you can get them within the system that you have. Yeah. You know, so that that's a difficult, that's a difficult for, uh... That's, 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 that's a, that's whole a other conversation. That's, like a, <laughs> that's a whole other complicated <laughs> conversation.
1: <laughs> but.
0: but what I think is funny is that, yeah, if you think about, you know, sort of beloved community and these ideas of these small sort of like, right at the beginning of Christianity when Christians... Were seriously oppressed and like sought out and murdered. Yeah. Like they really were. Um, treated very badly, you know. <laughs> they had these like little separate communes, and they had their things. It's like, and that's the sort of thing that Christians now really pull to and say, like, look, we know oppression. Two thousand years ago, we totally experienced it, <laughs> you know? And that, that's sort of like the that's what they pull to. And it's like, oh, so what you're saying is the best part of Christianity is when you were all anarchists? Yeah. <laughs> like you know. like that's so. That's when you know when you were press, you know you were working you are working you were actively working against the large governmental religious institutions of the time yeah living in small local self-sustaining communities like so yeah
1: there's um there's this great moment in um St. Augustine wrote this book uh Confessions and it's his that's his book that's basically trying to convince people um in uh uh, 300 CE um, to to join um, uh, to join Christianity.
0: Yeah,
1: um, and it's funny because at that time people didn't read silently everyone read everything aloud so everything like had to be communally understood which is why the whole like opening paragraph of his book is like I love God God is the almighty greatest wonderful fantastic so that every person reading it had to hear that every person reading his book which is very popular had to like have it open and read that (laughs) to everyone else around them (laughs) so it like immediately became a (laughs) bestseller which is just like kind of funny (laughs) um (laughs) It's like a small child like hijacking a uh, you know a political speech. they're like dad is gonna give give a political speech or something I don't know and a small child gets up and is like look at my dinosaurs <laughs>
0: <laughs> right just like that it's, it's occurring to me right now that we may be like a little bit blasphemous but it's also you know the whole anarchism thing so there you I mean, go <laughs> do you think do you think it's it's well it's just funny you know like religion is really really abhorred and hated in a lot of the anarchist community although you know we are here and there is a whole other subset of anarchism that isn't in the same ra- realm of that yeah I think there's a growing sense of sort of spiritual anarchism which is one of the reasons we're doing this is sort of like speak to that yeah you know the more that I more that I delve into it and the more I talk to people about it the more I find more and more people who are really really interested in this sort of like you know, revival. Because if you talk about what anarchism really is, it's on, it's a very optimistic view of humanity. Totally. 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 And it's a very optimistic, it, it fits right into the Quaker idea of the light within that we all, we all have a light within and we all are connected to divinity and we're all connected to something that connects all of us. You know, so we're all connected to something that connects all of us. Because, yeah. you know, I mean, Alexander Berkman even has to talk about, like, people saying at the same time, oh you're all violent devils, and you also think that we all have to be angels in order for anarchism to work. So there is this real real kind of spiritual underpinning to anarchism, um, even if it's, you know, and they're right, you know, a lot of anarchists and me are totally right to condemn religious institutions for the oppression, parts in oppression, the part they play in oppression right but it is really really interesting and I'm seeing right now with a lot of people that I know also this sort of like revival of sort of this need for spirituality and like we live in really scary times there's a lot of real uncertainty in the future so it makes sense and I feel like that core that like grounding is really really important whether or not it's Christian or whatever else the sort of the idea of that spiritual grounding and that's something I find both in... Quakerism, as well as anarchism, and they, so to me, they're actually this, you know, it's not that they just fit together well, but they're the same thing. Like, they're both this sort of, like, grounding in this idea that humans basically abhor injustice and, like, basically have a light within and, on a very basic level, want a a peaceful, just, equal equal world, you know, but then we're corrupted by power, we're corrupted by... Sort of this false need for hierarchy you know that we're told that we need we're sort of like bent to try and fit into these systems of oppression but without those you know it would it would work it really would work and i think that's a really beautiful view of how humanity works and i think it's true you know i really think it's true
1: um it's interesting you say that because uh, a couple years ago i was at a um uh i went to a, a quaker retreat or whatever and um I was listening to um, Quakers who had a they had a, a meeting house and they were um, they were debating about whether or not they should have uh, they had like an insurance policy to ensure their child care workers to offer child care at the um, in the meeting house during meeting. and they were debating about you know well people had to like sign waivers but what if someone was um, undocumented and they say well but we really want this insurance policy. What should we go back and forth and maintain? And I was just thinking, why the fuck do we have an insurance policy on this house? Like, why aren't we meeting in, like, actual houses? Like, why don't we just, like, eliminate this whole fucking problem of having to spend money on this thing, on this institution, when we could use that money for helping people? It's true. Um, It's one of those
0: things where it's like, we had just plain wooden benches and a rug... Because we had, because that's what they had. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, but now it's like you have like really nice plain, really nice wooden benches yeah. and that rug and the whole deal. Although I have to say, like some of those, like one of the reasons I became a Quaker is because I was in those meeting houses in Philadelphia for the first time back this last summer when I was at the DNC. Oh, God. So that's That was, okay. That's another thing. Anyway, I was at the, um, I went to two beautiful old Quaker meeting houses for the Socialist Convergence and for the People's Convention. And I just, we walk into that space and there's something so calming and beautiful just in those existences. And I, I really do enjoy that kind of architecture. So I don't think, I think there is something lost just by meeting, you know, just in a house. I think there's something really nice about having these sort of spiritual spaces. Sure. But there was also something about it where it was really plain, you know, it was really simple, you know, it wasn't, it was, it was nicely designed, beautifully designed, but it also wasn't ostentatious in any way, and that really, um, you know, that really appealed to me.
1: One of the things that I really like about um, Quakerism is that there is, that on the one hand, there is this, like, austerity, like, I'm not yeah. going to, like, dress up in find riches, and there's also, like, this sincerity with that, like, I'm not going to be fake with you, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to, like, bullshit you. Let your Um, gay
0: be gay and your no be no.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, um... And about the same time as I went to this other thing and I was thinking about the, like, why aren't we in houses, I was also, like, I, I wrote up a post that was that um, was on Quaker revivals. Um, Quaker revivals? Well, yeah, because I was just thinking at the time, like, Quakers seem to be fake. Quakers, are, like, the unprogrammed Quaker meetings are, is just, like, a tiny, tiny, tiny group. It's, like, there's, like, fewer than 5,000 unprogrammed Quakers in the United States. No way,
0: really? Yeah. That's it?
1: Yeah. It's about the same size as the industrial workers of the world. <laughs>
0: Um, you know, okay. both of
1: which, you know, and there's
0: some overlap there. So really, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> both of them just so so actually, yeah. um, so actually. But, <laughs> um, but, what's interesting about that to me is that there's, um, you know, both groups had like really fundamental roles in shaping the United States. There's one group. How there's a book that came out a couple years ago. Um, uh, how how the Quakers made America. That at one time in the United States, a quarter of the U.S. population was Quaker.
0: Shut up.
1: Like that's a real what? that's, a real, that's fact. a real thing. Yes. And what happened was that there as a result of participation in wars, as a result of various splits, people dropped out or were purged from meetings and purged. they're like, purged they said like, by
0: Quakers yeah
1: as in like you can't be a part of this meeting if you go and like serve in like the civil war oh, yeah. um and that that was the biggest single loss in Quaker membership wow. was because um you had all these people said we have preached against slavery for generations now yeah. you know for decade after decade after decade after decade after decade after decade, <laughs> decade you know and um, and here comes the war to say let's finally put a fucking end to it and Quakers win and fought for the they, south no, for the North.
0: Oh, for the Quakers North. Quakers
1: fought against slavery. That's what
0: I was like, wait, wait, wait. Oh, for the North. Yeah, that, yeah. Well, that makes sense.
1: Yeah. Um, and then men, they got condemned died, for being and in the military. And they were thrown out of their meetings. Oh,
0: man. All See, across this, the United this States. Is, this is something we'll talk about, this, we should talk about in the violence thing. Yeah. Because, you know, so the idea that Quakers are strictly, strictly abhorred all violence entirely. It's like, it was actually, there is this tradition yeah. of Quakers <laughs> deciding to serve in the military for
1: various reasons yeah and you know and there's another like tie to the military there that um and i want to look up more details on this that quakers also used to hold a lot of political offices and when the u.s voted to go to war um and it was i think it was like the war of 1812 might have even been the revolutionary war um quakers pulled back from political office and said we basically we condemn the united states
0: yeah like well, this, Richard this whole... Nixon was a Quaker, though. Yeah. Oh. Well, well, but
1: he wasn't. He like stopped being Quaker before he. Oh yeah. Yeah. He was like he <laughs> he, he was a Quaker.
0: <laughs> but again, <laughs> like that, he was not this. But not, yeah, the Quakers a big old yes. branch of things. Yeah. There's a there's some very very
1: different views. You know, very like,
0: fundamental kind of Quakers. Yeah. Very very um, conservative Quakers actually.
1: Um. But I think that you're onto some of this idea about like reviving Quakers, and like, Quakerism really speaks to a lot of different things. It speaks um, to a lot of different
0: things, yeah. And I talk to people about it, and I'm like, you know, they have all these questions. And it's like, what about dogma? And it's like, well, no, actually, we don't, we don't do that. We don't believe that the word is literally the word. Yeah. Necessarily. Word. <laughs> <laughs> ah, 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 you're funny. Bums. You're funny, friend. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> and and so you know, there's. Yeah, I tell people that there's actually a few atheists in our meeting. You're like what? Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, you know, it's it's different. It's the idea that you meet people where they're at, yeah. and God will meet you where you're at. Yeah. So, you know, so it's a, it's just a different yeah. it's a different thing. Um, I've really, but here's the thing is that I worry about talking too much. I I I obviously love being Quaker. It's been a huge influence to like my well being and my life. But I really worry about talking about that. Uh, because the other thing that's so great about Quakerism is that we don't evangelize, evangelize. Yeah. right? So like, I don't, I don't really want to go down that we're awesome path, even though you know, Obviously, like, <laughs> but I mean, on the
1: other hand, like, I don't like, I like, on just to like touch on that, like there's a difference between like evangelizing and like going somewhere and like having an honest discussion because I think it's also I think it's also like hurt Quakers that like Quakers have done a lot of amazing things and then like not talked about it well which is um, okay
0: this is so funny because that's the same thing that happens to anarchists yeah yeah which <laughs> um, is the like we're so non-performative in the allyship sometimes that nobody knows what the fuck we're doing yeah <laughs> and then you know so it's just sort of like
1: or I was talking to a friend uh, who will hopefully be on a show later um, and uh, he was saying you know there's there's all these stories about um, you, you know Quakers do amazing, amazing things, but they don't ever talk about it. And then, you know, maybe they'll write a short article that, like, doesn't... That, and they'll publish it anon- anonymously that talks about a few <laughs> things about what they did. And they're like, you know, I served 17 years shuttling people back and forth to get abortions in Mexico. You know, like, this amazing commitment that, like, risk arrest and, like, save like saved lives and all these things, you know. And, like, but would, like, never talk about that. Yeah. You know, would never say a word. Yeah, but, I mean,
0: that's, that's the true that's the true gospel though like that's the true is Jesus saying don't talk do you yeah know? I mean like do be a doer of the deed. You know, James goes on and on about that. Yeah, you know.
1: I mean, do the deed, but also like
0: don't... <laughs> Well, but that's the other thing that was like in revolution. To... We're trying to get other people to also do the deed. Yeah. So you know, how do you do that? And that's that's one of the things that's frustrating for me personally about the um, the whole argument about violence versus non-violence. Is so much time is given to the violent part of anarchist culture, which is not all reflected in all of anarchism. Is not all reflected in all of anarchist theory and it's only a little part, well, first of all, I mean, this is a whole other episode we're going to spend a long time on, but, you know, we have to discuss the fact that we're talking about Quaker anarchism. People are like, but Quakers are pacifists, anarchists are violent. It's like, that's way more complicated than that. <clears throat> and, it, <laughs> you know, and it's just sort of, but it is, it's, so it's frustrating to me, and it's frustrating to a lot of anarchists, no matter, like, how you feel about anti-violence or non-violence or whatever, that, um, you know, just the double standard... The huge double standard between like um, somebody bombing a black church and killing tons of people and Who's, getting like one tiny Christian. who says they're Christian like getting one like little t- like oh is a, is one little note and then you punch a Nazi and everybody flips the hell yeah. out yeah. <laughs> like you know so like that's a that's another thing I mean I have I have I have I have like really strong opinions on whether or not violence should be actually chosen as a method of social change mm-hmm. which we'll talk about um, but but the point. That I'm getting at is that it's it's more complicated than that and like that deserves some real discussion yeah you know so
1: and I think you know that's the first thing when we start talking about the show is like the difference between anarchists and Quakers Um, and so I wrote a little bit so I was like you know let's first acknowledge the strange relationship between Quakers and anarchists the stereotype of anarchist is this like clad in black historically bomb-throwing But more recently, it's window-smashing, loud, confrontational enemies of the state, you know. Uh, Whereas Quakers are a stereotype like super quiet, you know, constructive, community-building, obedient, friendly people Mm. who helped slave escapes a few centuries ago during the Civil War that nobody talks about Underground (laughs) Railroad. You know, that you almost could not find two more unlikely stereotypes and incompatible narratives. Yeah. um, And... Yet we know that there are anarchists who are Quakers and Quakers who are anarchists, and like we should know that like these histories are con- these histories and stereotypes are contested. Like there are Quakers who are arrested in droves um, and anarchists who've been responsible for mutual aid. Um, and undergoing his, you know, in very harrowing circumstances, mm-hmm. anarchists delivered aid in the Spanish Civil War and also, like, I mean, helped divide, you know, provide medical and food aid after Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans.
0: Well, I mean, right now, what anarchists are doing in Greece yeah. is amazing. Like, yeah. the refugee work they're doing, of course, right now is getting broken up, it's being they're being attacked and broken up by um, all sorts of stupid yeah people but yeah so there is this like strong strong strain in anarchism of community relief very very like christian (laughs) (laughs) like like, uh, i make the argument that like anarchists are much better christians than than most christians Christians. you know like much better like actually giving up everything in your life in order to help the poor actually getting really frustrated in the face of people being so cold in a Oppression. Yeah. You know, like watching oppression happen and not feeling anything about it, you know, like that's so frustrating to watch. And like the anarchists feel that, and like Quakers felt that, like early Christians felt that. Yeah. You know, so. And there's and as far as like the humility thing, oh well of course. The big joke being that black block is basically plain dress. Yeah, yeah. Right?
1: <laughs> that like so. Quakers issued issued um, <laughs> um, fancy fancy wear to live simply and so would dress in only plain clothes, in very simple clothes. Yeah. And so plain dress was either all gray or all black, you know, being right. simple, not trying to be ostentatious. <laughs> um you know, and I think that there is really this. There's something more similar to Quakers, just than like they have some overlaps here. Um, that Quakers talk about the like the direct experience of God, um, and that this precedes the loyalty to the state or the rich and powerful. Like they, yeah. they refused, refuse, you know, bowing to rich people, and they you know, and they broke unjust laws, um, and the Quakers paid dearly throughout the centuries for this. Their yeah. obedience to God causes just this like constant state of questioning. and anarchists ask themselves a lot of the same questions in terms of their personal relationship to power um, and like as a rule just like don't accept power relationships as they are just on the grounds that things have always been this way like that's just like not acceptable anarchism
0: um, <laughs> it's a not acceptable. Period.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and this doesn't mean that, that anarchists never agree with any state action or must always like seek a stateless society. Like we were talking about, there's some there's some finesse there, um, yeah. and there's a lot of arguments about like well, where are we now in relation to things. But anyways, um, but anarchists are constantly demanding of the state. Um, and that all power relationships have the ability and willingness to justify themselves. They must have a justifiable reason for their power to exist. Um, and this way, anarchists and Quakers are constantly asking the same question. What is just? Um, Quakers yeah. ask this in a moral way, while anarchists ask this in an ethical way, um, which can cause divergences, but they're they're basically asking the same thing. Yeah. Uh, and Quakers say, you know, is this the right relationship with God that God would have with us in heaven? Sounds remarkably like the anarchist question, you know, is this power exploitative, violent, or coercive in any way? You yeah. know?
0: Oh well, the coercive thing, yeah, absolutely. So Quakers are against coercion entirely, and an anarchist society is based on the idea that coercion yeah, in a society that there is no coercion. Yeah. So that's the same. That's the same, same thing. Principle. That's the same principle. So I have um, a Pendle Hill pamphlet here. Pendle Hill pamphlets were. Um, just these little pamphlets made by Quakers, the idea being that we don't believe in dogma, so everybody has their own experience with God and can write it down. So we all get to write our own little essays on our experience with uh, spirituality as opposed to just reading only the Bible is Word, right? So <laughs> I have this um, pamphlet here. One of them, the first, first, second, and third Pendle Hill pamphlets, and so these are back written back in the 30s, and they're pretty rad. Like, radical rad. Um, <laughs> it's true. Um, the first one's called <clears throat> Cooperation. The very first, very first Pendle Hill pamphlet was called Cooperation and coercion as methods of social change. (laughs) Yeah. So that's your Quaker dogma for you right there. Um, The second one is called A Religious Solution to the Social Problem. They talk all about authoritarianism. And then the third one is is called um, The Value of Voluntary Simplicity. And that goes into a lot of real basic anti-capitalist stuff. So like, what does it mean to not live in a consumer society? Like, what does it mean to live simply... And um, so the idea of living simply, which is a very very Quakery concept, and the idea of what it actually means to be in a non-consumerist, non-capitalist society, are very closely related, right? The idea that you don't need a bunch of just stuff, and actually all that stuff is not do you not need it? It's bad for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's bad for your soul. Like it's bad for society. You know. Um, You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. I have all these like highlighted stuff that I need to.
1: You know, one of the things that I like is that like Quakers are asked these questions and anarchists are asking these questions and they often come towards similar conclusions. They do, you totally. Know? Like, <laughs> um, you know, and it, it's it's interesting when you start looking at like what are the the hot-button issues of today, right? Uh, within anarchism, they would say, you know, prison abolition, you know, and uh, opposing the, the new Jim Crow, this idea that we're, we're just throwing away people of color, half of the U.S. prison system is people of color, and the U.S. has the largest prison system in the world. Despite having a population of 300 million, China has over a billion people, and they have less prisoners. So, yeah, like there's something really awful going on there and quakers also have this long history both of uh reconciliation alternative justice yeah. um and and prison reform saying something is really wrong here and res- um,
0: restorative justice
1: yeah um yeah and anarchists say you know we oppose all borders um and quakers really fall hard in the love thy neighbor um the american <laughs> prince put out a bumper sticker that fall said, said um, love thy neighbor uh, like, in parentheses, no exceptions. <laughs> 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 Which is, like, kind of like a sassy slogan. Um, anarchism says, you know, sassy we, here. we want, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes resistance has to be a little, you know, it's a little, little tongue Oh, it should always, should always, <laughs> always, always
0: a little sassy, is good.
1: Um... You know, and anarchists say, you know, we want a society with liberty for gender, race, class, ability. We want an equal society. Um, And Quakers say that, you know, God is in all people, um, which is part of the Quaker testimony of equality, which is one of the five main testimonies. Um, And anarchists also say, you know, we oppose any arbitrary authority. And Quakers say, yeah, like, follow your conscience, not the law. Like, Mm -hmm. the law of the land is not the law of your conscience. You have to follow your conscience wherever that takes you, even if that opposes the law. Um, And that there's remarkable overlap here in Quaker and anarchist philosophy going back centuries. Yeah.
0: um,
1: And I think that that's that's important. And I think that's, like, for me, I say that, like, Quakers are the anarchists of religious communities.
0: Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, there's also this really interesting dynamic that um, can be hard to explain. It was hard for me to understand at first. I mean, like way back in the day when I first started doing anarchist theory and all of these things, that people have a hard time understanding is one of the like main um, people criticisms that come about. Saying, well how can you be all for like libertarian personal freedom and for like socialist community at the same time and it's like well that's actually been solved (laughs) by Quakers the idea that we all have our own specific um, journey and path and relationship to something bigger at the same time that that personal relationship to something bigger is what strengthens our sense of community and yeah. it's sort of the same underpinnings of what an anarchist society would look like yeah. is the idea that uh, it's creating incentives and the incentive is that um, what's good for an individual is good for the community as a whole so when those incentives line up it's not a contradiction for your own personal freedoms being and having a strong community, yeah. and in fact, it ends up being the same thing, and that's something that Quakers have been practicing for a long time. Yeah.
1: I mean, and more than that, like if you, um, this is something that I think a lot of Americans struggle with, is because we like there's really an eschewing of community in the United States. That yeah. That people say like we don't live collectively. Everyone like the idea, the idea of the American dream of living in your own home is like inherently like in some ways antithetical to community because you're like not based around other people. Like, right. you, it's, like it's it's a way of like shutting off interpersonal interaction. Yeah. Um, and so anyways but the but one of the things that's like having lived in like, like co-ops and commune like situations <laughs> for a couple of years like one of the things that like I have experienced is that like when a community sets a goal and says this is something that we want to do we have a meeting we you know we plan it out let's have these like actions together um, when they you know, when they go well, everyone pours themselves into it, and a project becomes everyone's. It's not just a matter of, like, oh, my, you know, my personal will lines up with this. It's that this project is my will. Yeah. You know, like, I will this project, too, because we decided it together. Yeah. Um, and that, that becomes, like, not magical, but, like, incredibly powerful, incredibly driving. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that, like, the idea that, like, everyone should fight for their own interests, like, I don't, like... In some ways, like I, like,
0: I'm mean, just, I a loss for words now. Yeah, <laughs> like, like, it's, it's like what, why? It, it
1: literally doesn't make sense <laughs> to me. Yeah. Like when people are are working together in like in a sincere common cause, it's both like the most like beautiful and empowering thing, um, and simultaneously is also incredibly productive, right? Because, like, many hands make light work. Right. Um, Quaker axiom. And, uh, <laughs> is that really a Quaker axiom? It is. A oh, axiom. Good for us. <laughs> um, so, um, so there's that, you know? And, and I think that that's something that... I think that's one of the reasons why, like, socialism has struggled in the United States um, and why a lot of radical ideologies have struggled. Um, and anarchism also is that, like, these a lot of these ideologies are predicated in this idea that, like, we are capable of working together when the entirety of the dominant society of the United States is set up to say, no, individuals, you just do this thing and follow your, you know, whatever, you, you, you. And it's like, sometimes there's we and us. And the U.S. is really bad about we and us. The only times that the U.S. says we and us is okay is... Follow- we the
0: people. Yeah,
1: we the people, like, <laughs> like for militarism. Like, yeah. to justify a super strong state. And it's like, that is well, not sick. the only context in which people can come together and find meaning and meaning
0: well it's again yeah authoritarians using leftist ideology yeah to to justify their horrific actions so the only time you end up with a we or an us is when you can bend that to the will of upholding an authoritarian oppressive state. Right,
1: and that right. sounds like, uh, <laughs> bend all of the other regions to his will.
0: <laughs> did you know, I just found out that R. R. Tolkien was an anarchist Christian. Yeah. What the fuck, I did not know that, that's amazing. Yes, yeah,
1: <laughs> specifically not the bomb-throwing kind, but the envisioning a better world kind.
0: The, the envisioning a better world kind, the, the writing about hobbits yeah. kind.
1: You know, and I think there's something. I was looking for a quote of this, I don't remember that. Really, but there's like there's there's something um, utopian that, that Quakers and anarchists share, um, and that's you know this vision of like the possibility of another world. And Quakers say, you know, we want this world on earth, you know, in, in the Lord's prayer, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. The Daily bread. We're well,
0: supposed to bring heaven down to earth.
1: Exactly, um, on heaven as it is in earth, or, 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 <laughs> earth is On earth as it is in On earth as <laughs> it is in heaven, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, and you know, and that should beg us to ask, you know the very powerful questions, like, well, how would people of color be treated in heaven? How should we treat them on earth? You know, as, like, white religious people, you know? I mean, and this is, like, there's all kinds of, like, privilege tied up in that, but also, like, really the, like, the questions about, like, the power relationship of heaven is just, like, crushing and, like, damning when compared to, like, what we do today in the United States you know and like historical relationships with like indigenous people and Uh, historical relationships uh, with um, I mean with every immigrant community um, and and also just like conquering and colonialism and violence and war well basically all the things all all the things all the things Um, so that's a thing Um, (laughs) and one of the things that I that I really enjoy about Quakerism is that there's this, um, uh, that, Well, I mean, back up, like, so, I think the idea of the show Friendly Quaker is, like, it's a nice, like, multiplicity of meanings the, where... The fr-
0: Friendly Anarchist? Friendly
1: Anarchist, um, Should we
0: be Friendly Anarchists? Friendly Anarchism, the Friendly Anarchist, as in, like, the chef or whatever what those shows are called, what do you think? Oh, <laughs>
1: um, I thought, I thought, well, I don't, um... I don't know I, I feel like Godspeed you black emperor on this like <laughs> Godspeed <laughs> you black
0: emperor <laughs> Yeah do, 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 do. I know them I mean they're great yeah.
1: Well I mean and the, every time they write their band name the exclamation points in a different position
0: Oh I didn't know that
1: Yeah And so um, the Friendly anarchist yeah, yeah Friendly anarchist Friendly anarchists, Anarchist, anarchist <laughs> friendly yeah, Whatever It's all the same to me. Um, uh, So So um,
0: uh, but, yeah, I mean, and I think of uh, the idea of, like, Quakers as,
1: like, an early, like, insult um, that's really been, like...
0: Uh, oh, right, the name re- of Quaker is an insult, isn't it?
1: Yeah, because it was, it was taken from members uh, of the Religious Society of Friends um, who were being, who were on trial, and they were afraid for the sentence that was about to come down from a judge and so the judge was mocking them He was like you're quaking you're quakers over there and that was like the name that stuck um was, like, that's mean it really it really like they were on trial about to face punishment and the judge was making fun of them like in the courtroom
0: typical though right typical yeah. of structural power ah. um, but I'm glad that we reclaimed that that's yeah, fun yeah right yeah I like that uh, so typical uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've been an hour and 11 minutes. Wow, I'm gonna get some water. Maybe
1: we should should pause this for a second.
0: Yeah. (laughs) We, should, so just, we should just. We should just. <laughs> and, uh, we should just do this though. Like we have so much to talk about, and it's like really dynamic and like organic when we're just talking. To yeah. Each other. Just go to a bar and set it up. Well, after we edit this, and make sure that we can hear each other and then editing out the noise enough. But yeah. like, this is I great. I kind like like, of like the music
1: in the of, background.
0: Yeah, I like the <laughs> <ambience>. it's Nice. <laughs> but, like, so it would be just a lot easier on us too if we just like, cause we have this and we have all this information, we just come with. Have drinks and talk. I think that could be fun. And then sometimes have people on the show, you know, like have actual interviews. With you, so. Absolutely. But like, if we're going to be trying to fill up time, I don't know how else we're going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and then we're going to have people Yeah. It's great. <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome back. I'm back.
1: After that lovely break. Um, so... Actually, I actually
0: have to get going pretty soon. Yeah. I
1: have actually, to work in the morning.
0: Yeah. Me
1: too. Um, I wanted to read one passage. So this is from, uh, Oh, well, I'll read my passage too. Awesome. Oh, uh, this is from uh, Quakers and Nazis about the Quakers in Germany. Before World War 2. before and during World War 2, but it's the German Quakers uh, yeah. who at, before World War 1 there were basically no Quakers in Germany. Were, like at the end of World War 1 there was none. And Quakers like showed up and did a bunch of aid work. There's a long history of like after war, wars, Quakers would show up and do like medical and aid work. In Israel Palestine too there was a Quakers where all of that, um, all of the early camps and like what we think of as like the UN like mandate to like help refugees and so on like came out of Quaker work. That was like a thing. Oh, yeah, cool. um, but so there is after the aid work in World War I, um, or after the end of World War I, um, the Quakers, um, then uh, they, there was enough Quakers to form a yearly meeting. There's like 200 Quakers or something. It was like a pretty small group. But they, so they had a Quaker meeting and they, um, just in like 1931, in the lead up to World War II, um, Hitler is like coming to power. There's a lot of like anti-Semitism, and hate, and attacks. And at one point, there's um, uh, there's been uh, this isn't Kristallnacht, but there's there's a big burning. There's like a, a Jewish synagogue was burned. And the Quakers, they wrote a letter. The German mean wrote a letter to the Jewish Seminary and they said one part of that. Um, we feel responsible and guilty for this act um, because we have not done enough to decontaminate a hate-filled atmosphere. We therefore ask your forgiveness for what has been done to you, um, which is, on the one hand, a little bit like you're asking forgiveness. It's a little weird because you didn't, didn't do it necessarily, but but I mean, it speaks to the condition that like there's so many bad things going on, and they felt like a responsibility for that, um, and that's something that like I feel today in our world. In terms of like both like att- like attacks on Jewish communities that are happening, there's a cemetery that was run over and stuff, um, but also just in terms of like the U.S. engagement in the world and like imperialism and colonialism, and like we're now on the um, uh, 14th anniversary of the invasion of Iraq, a sovereign nation, you know, and the hundreds of thousands of civilians dead, thousands of U.S. soldiers dead, and just like the total devastation of the infrastructure of Iraq, um, and. You know, there's this real question about like, what is our collective responsibility as a nation, as like the empire of the world? but, like, what do we do to stop this? Um, and that's something that like, as um, as a Quaker and anarchist, um, you know, I feel just absolutely wracked with guilt about. It's like, I like, no matter what I do, arrest or not arrested, action or non-action, like, I like, it's nothing stops the war. And it just goes on and on and on, and I just feel like, I feel distraught. I feel like, I just feel like shaken. Like something is fundamentally wrong, but I cannot stop this thing that is being done in my name, you know?
0: But that's exactly what's great about Quakerism and anarch- Quakerism and anarchism, is that the idea is that you, you can't do it alone. That's what community is for, you know? Yeah. So.
1: Sparkles to that. <laughs> sparkles, sparkles to that. Yeah. Um
0: yeah I mean and that we can't just feel guilty you know we have to just do stuff and guilt isn't really that helpful <laughs> unfortunately you know and Jesus didn't spend a lot of time just like feeling bad about bad about stuff it's just yeah. like, just go do stuff go just go do stuff yeah. you know ha- let your actions speak you know so um, and I don't think I would have enough oomph personally or strength personally to do it without community, um, without God, you know for me personally, I need both of those things and I need the, the the strength and the courage that comes with different aspects of both of those traditions, Quaker tradition and anarchist tradition. To be able to do anything, and I feel like I'm still just starting to get out there, and I haven't been doing enough. Mm-hmm. No, like, you know, no if-ands or buts. I haven't. I just, I just haven't been doing enough. But <laughs> I, I think because I kind of needed both. I kind of needed to reconnect with the spiritual part of me, and I need to reconnect with um, my truly like anarchist um, political and spiritual stance, because they're we kind of the same thing to be able to have enough um, ability to do this work. It's Absolutely. hard, it's hard work, you know? So I hope that what we're doing can help other people see that the, the strength in community, and that there are people doing this work, and that if um, if there secular sort of ethical drive isn't sustaining you. There is this whole other tradition of having a spiritual sustenance available and help available and that means to. And not everybody needs that. I personally really did need that. It's very hard on me. Um, on, um, emotionally I needed that connection with community and with spirituality and with God in order to sort of bolster my strength to do difficult social justice work. and that is, has a strong tradition too. Spiritual work and Christian work also has a very strong role in social justice for centuries and centuries and centuries. You yeah. know? So it's been really nice for me to be able to tie into that as well to find more strength and more precedent and more examples of people being able to take on this kind of really difficult stuff and be good at it you know, and keep it up and not burn out. Yeah. You and know. I feel
1: like that's part of the, it's almost like the hidden, the hidden tradition of, you know, Christianity. <laughs> There's this, like, deep, deep, deep radical bend. There um, is a deep
0: radical bend. I think is, Jesus was a radical. Yes. Yeah. You Fucking. know,
1: and it's and it's not just, like, radical is in going to do terrible things in the crusades. There's, like, fighting <laughs> for justice, you know, for centuries. Um, and even, like... Uh, even Marcus sort of like notes that he's like I mean I haven't read all the capital but like, he sort of makes reference to like the, the Christian communes and like you know, he sort of draws on that and says you know that's sort of what we're, you know in some of the ways what we're headed for um, in his uh, you know his uh, yeah. slightly better world
0: <laughs> yeah let me read um, let me read my passage now that Alexander Berkman well known anarchist um, American, the, American. Well, you know, uh, immigrant American anarchist who, uh, let's see, he's, he's very well known for having bombed some people and killed them and been a big um, proponent for the propaganda of the deed, which is where you do violent acts to show... What needs to be done, kind of, for to start revolution. But he after Russia, he came out thinking very differently about that. That's again another thing for our non-violence podcast. Alexander Berkman, right before he died, came out very strongly against the idea of violent revolution. Uh, he preferred the idea of a general strike. General, Tolstoy um, too
1: was um, a really big uh, um, pacifist Christian with like a lot of anarchist leanings. Yeah, Tolstoy is uh, super interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, who, but it was basically, um, you know, God and peace, and talking about the authoritarian nature of the state, um, while also, you know, describing in very strong terms the need for, um, for peaceful action. Um, and the state really didn't like him, and they like wanted to arrest him, but he was just like so popular that they were like, <laughs> "All right, leave you alone." It's kind of like the same thing with um, the like the uh, Polish Solidarity movement. It was being like sort of focused around one you know one woman um who became the like the nexus of all of this like religious like religious fervor and also like a little bit of rebellion but also like demanding you know demanding rights and social improvement um in the the soviet era in poland Um, and so um sometimes you know in a lot of ways the you know, the community is both a source of inspiration and also a source of protection. You know, it helps oh yeah, us. So it does.
0: It definitely does. There's a a long strain of the idea of the um, Christianity being a source of inspiration and protection in the liberation theology movement and Black liberation theology movement. Definitely requires its whole own. <laughs> 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 but um, for now, I want to read this passage from. ABC of Anarchism by Alexander Bergman. Page so, number. Page number. Well, this is the this is the um, AK Press reprint, so the page number is not going to be the same as Nothing. in the original. <laughs> but um, if you're following along, kids, what <laughs> is Anarchism? Working Class Series, AK Press, and it is page 61. All right. <laughs> All right. Till this very day, institutionalized religion is the Judas of its alleged savior. It approves of murder and war, of wage slavery and capitalistic robbery, and always stands for the law and order which crucified the Nazarene. Consider, Jesus wanted all men to be brothers, to live in peace and goodwill. The church upholds inequality, national strife, and war. Jesus condemned the rich as vipers and oppressors of the poor. The church bows before the rich and accumulates vast wealth. The Nazarene was born in a manger and remained a pauper all his life. His alleged representatives and spokesmen on earth live in palaces. Jesus preached meekness. The princes of the church are haughty and purse-proud. As you do unto the least of my children, Christ said, you do unto me. The church supports the capitalist system which enslaves little children and brings them to an early grave. Thou shalt not kill, commanded the Nazarene. The church approves of executions in war. Christianity is the greatest hypocrisy on record. Neither Christian nations nor individuals practice the precepts of Jesus. It is true that if we could follow the precepts of the Nazarene, this would be a different world to live in. There would then be no murder and no war, no cheating and lying and profit-making. There would be neither slave nor master, and we should all live like brothers in peace and harmony. There would, neither, there would be neither poor nor rich, neither crime nor prison, but that would not be what the church wants. It would be what the anarchist wants. <laughs> word or yeah, what, yeah exactly Anarchy. word right yeah. <laughs> what anarchists and sort of yeah this kind of this kind of Christian wants yeah
1: I mean and I think that's that's a nice sort of note to end on is that um, you know there are um, there are Quaker anarchists and there are anarchists that are Quakers um, and we exist um, <laughs> and hi <laughs> um and it's good to meet you, and, you know, we're inspired by so many things that are happening, um, you know, amidst a, you know, rising tide of authoritarianism, crisis, um, you yeah. know, Golden Dawn in Greece, the, mm. whatever, Freedom Party in France, Le Pen, uh, Brexit, and, um... Of course, uh, our own, our yeah, yeah, and then Donald Trump with every, every kind of racist thing that can be said, um, and... Yeah. It's, uh, you know, and I, and I really think that it's, uh, it's inspiring um, that there is both this like long history of resistance um, and also um, that there are some people uh, with whom we can join together in solidarity. Um, and I find yes. that just like the most... Yes.
0: And I think, I think there's this spot that's so important, that's growing, this sort of religious and spiritual radical left. Yeah. I meet more and more people who are really interested in this. You know, the more I talk about this, the more I meet people who are really, really into this idea and then there's this mesh, there's this middle, there's this spot that needs to be filled, you know? And I'm so excited that we're here talking about yes. it. <laughs> it's so great. It's, so.
1: You know, and I'm, and I'm tired to have, I'm just tired of hearing this idea that, like, that the Christian right has a monopoly on religion, like, that's yeah. bullshit, you know? And I, I will not see my religious beliefs and my faith because there is this other corrupting force.
0: Yeah. You know? I say what I say is that spirituality and religion um, is something that's also been co-opted and corrupted by capitalism. Yeah. You know, so it's throwing the baby out with the bathwater there to say that all religion and all spirituality is the evil. Yeah. It's one it's another thing that's been just stolen and crushed and co-opted and by capitalism and authoritarianism um, that we need to reclaim that i'm gonna reclaim i'm doing it right now we're doing it (laughs) we're doing it (laughs) all right (laughs) all right thank you friends
1: thank you friends